Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. I noticed the expense ratio is kind of high, but I've actually owned this uh, ETF for a couple of months, and I'm looking to possibly add more and want to see what you think about it. And provides unbiased answers. Uh, it's focused on uh, the value side of the market, and that's not really been the leader. Invest Talk. Over 29 million downloads and counting. I had a question about the ticker symbol XL. X is X-ray. L. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, February 10th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. I appreciate you all tuning in this hour. I'm going to do my best to make it interesting and informative for you to help you make better decisions about your money and your investments. And on today's program and podcast, I will do my best to operate with our mission, which is independent thinking and shared success. It means we want you to share in our success. And when the way that I do that is by giving you market reports, uh, explain different processes when analyzing different asset classes and companies, uh, whether I go over some sort of broader educational segment or if I'm commenting on one particular stock or sector, I will do, be doing this all without any bias towards you know what you should or shouldn't do, kind of giving you my best of the pros and cons. And that's how you need to think about really anything in life, right? Uh, not just investing, but especially investing is what are the pros and cons, the risk versus rewards, because all of them have trade-offs, right? Even if you invest in something and it does well, there's opportunity costs where that money could have been invested in something that may be done even better, right? So that's part of it that you have to think about too. And then there's all other types of factors that go into whether you should make uh, an investment decision or a financial decision. So that's what I'm here to do is give you the facts as I see them. I'm Justin Klein. Of course, we encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions. Yes, you get to shape the show to your liking by giving us a call. In fact, you can call and interact with us right now during our live stream, 4 to 5 Pacific time, or you can leave questions anytime in our Invest Talk Voice Bank. The number never changes, 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first caller question now. Hi, uh, my name is Ranson from Irvine. I was just curious what your thoughts are on BYD company BYDDY is it if it's worth getting a position thank you bye all right so this is a I believe this is a Chinese battery maker uh, this is a company that was listed on the exchanges as BYD back in the day and they just struggled mightily uh, now BYD is a different symbol that's boy gaming but uh, BYDDY is a Chinese company. Once again, it's hard to really comment too much on uh, a Chinese company and their numbers, but the the trend is clearly up. And the reason is because battery demand is very, very high in, in China uh, and the rest of the world. 
and clearly they're benefiting uh, from this. And it's ran a lot, BYDY. Now, I will say that the battery market is tight, 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 tight. Um, so I will say that the momentum here is certainly higher. Momentum certainly higher. Uh, do they have the best battery technology? No. But uh, with its high battery market, you kind of get take what you can get, right? And so how much can you really believe their numbers? You know, this is a company, like I said, that struggled for a long, long time to be profitable, to report profit, and now they're profitable. And I think you're, you've, you certainly have to throw a little skepticism into that profitable number, but you also have to understand the underlying market for their products are very strong. So I would say the momentum will likely continue. Is it, uh, it's going to be a very volatile industry, but longer term, the demand for batteries, especially if we go towards electric, more and more electric vehicles, they're going to be in high demand, but it's a very expensive stock at these prices. Thanks for the call. Now, I know you want strategies and need strategies to help navigate this volatile market and market that doesn't make sense a lot of times, but that's irrelevant because you still have to make smart decisions. Even though it's harder, maybe more confusing, uh, maybe fundamentals are divorced from reality, or prices are divorced from fundamentals, say that. It's still in a market where if you want to make money, you have to navigate correctly. And that's what I'm here to help you do. 8899 chart is the number. So let's take a quick look at the market today. You had a very, very modest down day. 1.3 points down on the S&P. You had the NASDAQ. That was down 35 points. So tech certainly underperformed the broader market. Small caps were down about a half a percent as well. The Russell down 16 points, uh, which is, yeah, a little over one, a little over half a percent. So a modest down day. We're overbought, right? We, we had a big surge late last week and in, in the first couple of days of this week in, in the markets after a pullback the week before and kind of refreshed the, the buying. Uh, but the market's a little, little toppy here, I think, in my mind. It looks very overbought. Uh, could we have one more leg higher? Absolutely. Um, but as we get deeper into the year, that's the way I see it, as we get deeper in the year, the chances of a broader market sell-off increase. Why is that? Well, if you look at stimulus last year, we spent about $4 trillion in total to stimulate the economy. Now, Biden and, and, and the, uh, those in Congress are trying to push through a $1.9 trillion stimulus package, and it's going through budget reconciliation and may not come out that high, but needless to say, 1.9 trillion is 1.9 trillion, even if it's a little bit less, even if it's a trillion dollars. That's still 5% of our economy, right? Our economy is roughly $20 trillion GDP per year. And so if you go and spend a trillion, every trillion you spend, that's a 5% boost to the economy in the near term. In an, on nominal terms. Remember, these are just nominal terms. Now, is that drive inflation? Clearly, that's happening to some degree. How fast will it rise? We will see. But this is a market that is on a sugar high. Uh, and the market, the, the 
government is going to have to continue this if they want that sugar high to continue, right? If you give the patient strong enough drugs, pulling them back is going to be difficult. And certainly now we're in double drugs, right? Before you just be QE, now there's a fiscal policy, and that's the, the way the policymakers are, are going. Whether you agree with that or not, that's irrelevant. It's how it impacts markets, how it impacts companies, how it impacts the broader global financial system is what matters most. Uh, and we'll obviously be discussing that here on Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we're moving through the second trading week of February. And there's a lot of changes that we see happening with this new administration. And it's important to remember that during periods of market uncertainty, the task of building our financial freedom must continue. You have to stay focused no matter what environment you are looking at. Because when you take your eye off the ball, that's when you make big mistakes. So your goal of financial freedom will require information and effective strategies. And that's what I'm here to help you do. So your participation is vital. We're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Canada and talk to Sabat. He's looking at Dave & Buster's P-L-A-Y. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? Hey, Justin. First of all, thank you so much. Every time I call you, I must thank you and Steve for all the guidance that you have given. I can't tell you how much that is helpful in growing my portfolio. Yes, I have the position already for quite some time, and I'm almost at mm -hmm. the double. Uh, so I'm looking for uh, an opportunity to exit. Uh, but the way it is growing, I'm thinking, should I wait for some time or should I sell it? I don't know what is the exit point. Yeah, I think you are getting to a point now. This is for everyone else's Dave and Buster's and the 52 week low back in March was $4.61. Now it's at $38.85. Before COVID it was at 47, 47 was the 52 week high. So what you've seen here is a massive uh, rally. Now they're still expected to lose money about almost $5 a share this year and $1.13 next year. And it's, Valuation or its market cap is now up to 1.8 billion, and to me, this is uh, from a technical perspective into some major resistance here around the 38 to 40 dollar level. So, if you've doubled your money, I would definitely you have to think of tax consequences. So I'm not sure if there are any, but I would think about taking at least half of that off the table here and have a trailing stop because one of the issues here is their debt has exploded on the back of COVID, right? Because they really don't have much cash flow in this environment, right? 2020, they had negative, let's see, they had negative uh, operating cash flow uh, and they were, just they were just struggling overall. So they had to issue debt at seven and 
7.6% maturing in 2025, which is pretty means they're paying a very high rate of interest. Now they might be able to refinance that at some point, but the main point is this is this has hurt their business, and uh, it's going to be a while till they fully fully recover. I think long term it's still a good company. They'll recover and they'll get back to their consistent profitability that they were at before. But this rally now, from a risk reward standpoint, tells me that you should really take some money off the table, at least half of that, and have a trailing stop. Thanks for the call. And my focus point today concerns a story about the utility and healthcare in sectors and how they are lagging in this environment. They kicked off the week this week as the worst performing sector. At about 1.1% loss on Monday. But we're going to go over the broader sector performance for the year at least and help you understand these couple sectors in context to the economic backdrop and why they are underperforming. Remember, what happens in the underlying economy has a profound impact on what sectors outperform or underperform in a given period. And so this is the time frame where interest rates are rising. Uh, and some other factors that are weighing on these sectors. And uh, these are uh, hopefully important lessons for you to learn, which we'll get to. Next, mortgage forbearance. I've talked about this, but I'm going to dig into a little more detail about what this looks like in the next few months. Remember, mortgage forbearance is to last about 12 months, and we're about to lap the COVID crisis, right, for the one-year mark, and a lot of people who got into forbearance are going to have to start paying their mortgage again, and that's going to be certainly interesting, so we're going to talk about that. Next up, energy consumption of Bitcoin. This is a concern that's been discussed really since, out the, since the life of Bitcoin, and I'm going to give you some updated statistics from the University of Cambridge who actually looked at Bitcoin's energy consumption needs. And you'd be shocked that it actually matches the size of certain countries as a whole, which is very interesting. And this is a profound, has a profound impact longer term for Bitcoin, especially in context to green energy. So we're going to get to that. And then lastly, maybe why has Bitcoin not lived up to its original goal, which was to have easy electronic payments globally uh, with a lot of volume. And certainly that has not happened. So we're going to go over that as well. Now you listen to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. In this 2020, we know you, there will be many changes ahead, so naturally you will have finance and investment questions, and that's what I'm here for. So your participation is vital. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today concerns the story. Utilities and healthcare stocks are lagging. And I highlight this because this is an important 
consideration that you all need to understand. Uh, and this applies to all 11 sectors from, you know, talking about uh, times right now where uh, industrials, utility, uh, sorry, industrials, energy, materials, those tend to outperform in an environment where uh, interest rates are rising, you know, cyclical stocks do well, uh, dollars falling, those things tend to outperform. Now, when the economy is getting weaker, the opposite happens, right? And that's why it's important to look at the trends within the underlying sectors to see are they strengthening, are they weakening, and what that might be telling you about the underlying economic trends. Now, a couple of things are dragging down the performance of these two sectors. The main thing is, is rising interest rates, and that's especially true with the utility sector. And remember that utilities tend to, spend, tend to pay consistent dividends, 3 4 5% yields, and a lot of investors use these as bond proxies. Well, if the underlying bond prices, especially treasuries, are going down, that makes those yields more attractive in relation to things like utilities. Now, this applies to a lot of dividend-paying stocks. You can lump in consumer staples in here as well. But utilities, they tend to also have high debt levels, right? They own and, and operate huge pieces of machinery uh, uh, that, that cost a lot of money to build and maintain, and therefore their debt levels tend to be relatively high, and they're able to sustain those debt levels because their profits and their cash flows are also steady. But the cost of capital, the cost of that debt also tends to go up. So those are all the factors that are really driving down, or not down, because XLU is still up about half a percent for the year, but the underperformance, to say that. Now, healthcare is similar in a lot of ways. Right, where many of the healthcare names are big drug companies, pay consistent dividends, have consistent cash flows. Also, many times have a lot of debt, especially recently with a lot of these big conglomerate healthcare companies that uh, merged with other big ones and, and created over-leveraged or highly leveraged companies. And so there's a lot of parallels in that sense. Now, healthcare, I think, overall will do worse in this environment is because of the trends in Washington. There's probably no stronger, except for maybe energy, and energy is certainly waning, but no stronger lobbying effort in Washington more than the healthcare sector, right? From your drug companies to your health insurers, and in a time when, you know, there's a backlash against lobbyists, and uh, I think there's growing populism within the country, whether that's populism on the left or populism on the right, certainly populism is not beneficial for corporatism, right, the lobbyists, and I think that is kind of a longer-term headwind to drug companies, drug prices, uh, and the healthcare industry in general, especially if you go to some sort of single-payer uh, healthcare plan, which is talked about, 
So there's a lot of headwinds on that side as well. So these are a few of the factors that are driving utilities and healthcare to underperform. But the broader message is to begin to have a framework and to understand the machinations of the market and why certain sectors underperform or outperform. And that'll give you a, a good guideline to do a little sector rotation. That's something we do for our clients at KPP is we, we look, we're looking at that overall top-down analysis of the economy as a whole, what's inflation doing, is GDP rising, etc., and how that will impact the various sectors in the economy and which ones you want to overweight. And then we do the bottom up, where we look at different companies in the sectors and try to overweight or try to buy the companies within those sectors that are the most attractive based on growth, valuation, leadership, etc. So I hope that helped you start to think about your sector, your sector strategy, your sector diversification in a more targeted way and have a backdrop for how to think about those weightings. Now, on the next Invest Talk, this story. Why it might be a mistake to file your 2020 taxes now. The government will determine whether or not you get a stimulus check based on your adjusted gross income from 2019 or the 2020 tax year. So, we'll discuss that tomorrow on whether you should be in a rush to file those taxes or not. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, 
You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Let's head over to Washington State and talk with George. He's looking at Trinet Group, TN. ET, do you own it? Or are you looking to buy it? Uh, I'm I'm looking to take small position and uh, um, Tanet Group. Uh, their return on investment and return on equity is pretty good, but uh, what I'm worried more is the debt to equity ratio is not really stunning. So 
Um, I may go a little bit wait till a little pullback maybe. I just wonder on your opinion. Uh, you, uh, I think they they're fine from a debt perspective. I don't see any debt issue here. Uh, it certainly is overbought from on a weekly and a daily chart. I will say that, but I, I do like what you're saying when it comes to the uh, return on equity, return on invested capital. That is very strong, and their cash flows are very strong. Trailing 12 months, 604 million, and you have a 5.4 billion dollar market cap. So, uh, based on that, that's that's pretty robust. Now, I will say they're getting some tailwinds from. The PPP loans and, and helping businesses with that because what they do is they provide comprehensive human resource outsourcing services for small and mid-sized businesses. So all of the lifelines the government has given out to uh, businesses, they've kind of helped facilitate that and, and help these small and mid-sized businesses uh, navigate those those new laws, new rules, and new programs. And so that certainly helped their, their business. So I think that that near-term boost in profitability and cash flows is something that is a little bit higher than reality, um, but certainly they have a very good business. I will say that you can't argue, even though uh, that is given a short-term boost. Overall, their growth is consistent. They started buying back shares since 2015, so I like that. Uh, no dividend. Well, I wish they would pay a little bit of a dividend with that that cash flow and start trying to grow that. Um, but overall, technically, it's in an uptrend. Uh, the business is strong. The business is sound, uh, and I see nothing wrong with their balance sheet. So I'm giving uh, Trinet a thumbs up. Thanks for the call, George. Eight 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 ninety nine chart. Eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. So how you get through and ask your question. On today's show, speaking of government programs, let's touch on mortgage forbearance. And this was a lifeline for many Americans, many homeowners during the start of the COVID crisis. And it's a relief program that is designed to last a maximum of 12 months. And many of the people who took this forbearance in March, April, May, June of last year are going to start to have to pay their mortgage once again. And that's more than half of those 2.7 million active forbearance plans currently are set to end in those four months, March, April, May, June. So that means, what, 1.3, 1.4 million people are going to have to go from not having to pay their mortgage to having to pay their mortgage. You think that's going to have an impact on their spending? You think that's had an impact on their spending so far? Now, certainly a lot of those people are probably still struggling financially. A lot of those people are without a job and couldn't pay even if they wanted to. Or even if they had to, let's say that. But a lot of them probably maintain their job. I know I have I have a family member who said, I'm just going to take it because she didn't lose her job, but they just took it because they it was just in case, right? Uh, and that certainly helped them through this. But they didn't lose their job. They didn't lose their income. But it gave them a lot uh, more money to start to repair uh, other parts of their balance sheet, right? Repay credit cards, maybe spend a little bit more, et cetera. Now, the Federal CARES Act in March allowed borrowers to postpone payments for those 12 months, and up to 75% of U.S. mortgages are guaranteed 
or insured by the U.S. government. These are only federally backed mortgages. And close to 1 in 10 homeowners signed up for forbearance at the peak of the program last June. So June was the peak month. So it's supposed to be a short-term fix, but that hasn't really been the case. Few, fewer borrowers have exited forbearance plans in the last few weeks, and the share of American, Americans unemployed for more than six months is now rising. So it means that many of these people are going to start to go into forbearance. Now, the Biden administration is talking about extending this, but they will eventually face an expiration at some point. Now, the difference here is that back in 2007 and 2009, a lot of those people were underwater. They just turned back their keys. Uh, they had to do a short sale or whatever. Right now, the housing market's strong. So if they can't afford to pay their mortgage once the forbearance comes off, they'll be selling their home. And that's really what I think is the most up in the air about our economy right now, is how does the housing market handle a forbearance flood, forbearance expiration flood, of supply coming onto the market. Right now, supply is near record lows, something like 1.2 months of supply. And so the Biden administration said last week that it plans to gather representatives from the housing agencies to develop a plan around the expiration of forbearance. So clearly, governments are going to try to manage this well, but still yet to be seen as to the fate of these homeowners and the housing market as a whole, because this is going to certainly change the dynamics once those forbearance plans expire. Now it's Wednesday. We're more than halfway through the trading week, so let's keep things moving. Here comes another question from the Investock Voice Bank at 888-99-CHART. Hi, thank you for taking my question. This is Ray from Austin, Texas. I had a question about the ticker symbol XL, X as X-ray, L. They haven't made any money yet, and they're projected to make money by next year. So I was wondering what might be a good buying price that you, that you think. Thank you. All right, this is XL Fleet. It provides vehicle electrification solutions for commercial and municipal fleets. Interesting. Looks like a recent IPO here, and it's been kind of treading water around this $20 level. They're not expected to make money next year, or this year, it's supposed to lose $0.22 cents a share. Uh, you know, I'm going to pass. There's not enough information here. Uh, there's a lot better electric vehicle plays than this. Um, this company that has no history of making money, recent IPO, yeah, I'm absolutely passing on XL. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 889924278. Let's touch quickly on Bitcoin and uh, with the, the recent news of Tesla buying up uh, some some Bitcoin as uh, to put on their balance sheet. It's and there's a lot of speculative fervor around Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general. But one factor that a lot of people do not understand, and I haven't seen talked about in a long while, is the energy consumption that the Bitcoin network takes. It takes a lot. And they measure it by hash rate, and that is the measuring unit of processing power of the Bitcoin network. Now, 
University of Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance tracks the energy consumption of this blockchain, and it's an estimated 121.9 annualized terawatt hours. Now, what does that mean in context? Well, that's as much energy as Argentina, the United Arab Emirates, and the Netherlands used in all of 2016. And the mining of Bitcoin is heavily weighted towards China. About two-thirds of all Bitcoins are mined in China, and there's a reason for that. And it's because of cheap power. A third of all Bitcoin is mined in uh, Xinjiang, which is powered by cheap coal. And then another big power center for Bitcoin mining is Sichuan, which is the home of the Three Gorges Dam, the largest hydroelectric dam in existence. So they have cheap power as well. So power consumption on the network is exploding. And as the chain gets bigger and bigger and harder to mine, the more power it's going to take. And this is one of, one of many issues that the blockchain has. And in a world where everyone or a lot of people are worried about global warming, Bitcoin is not very energy efficient. It's not very green at all. So when you own Bitcoin, you have a cost. You don't see it, but there is a cost. And what's going to be very interesting is when I believe it's 2024, just a few years away, when there's no more mining of Bitcoin. It's going to be strictly based on fee for transaction. Who is going to take on the cost of that electric power? Right now, it's the miners. But once that happens, how is that going to be handed off? So there's a lot still up in the air. And like I said before, this has been co-opted by a speculative fervor, has gotten far away from its ethos as store of value and a medium of exchange, which we'll talk about after the next break. Now let's grab another question. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk, and you are not alone. In the month of January, where we hit 917,000 downloads. We're going to be at 30 million downloads after this month, and we love all of our listeners all around the world, whether you're in Switzerland, Japan, the UK. Saudi Arabia, Korea, many, many more countries out there. We thank you for downloading Invest Talk and for telling your friends and family about our free finance podcast. Please keep those calls, questions, and emails coming in. And of course, you're welcome to call our KPP Financial Offices in Irvine, California at 800 557 5461. We would love to help you. But for now, our phone lines are open at 888 99Shirt. This is Invest Talk. Made possible by KPP Financial, where each Friday, subscribers to the KPP Premium Newsletter receive a concise and highly informative summary of the week's financial and investment news sent directly to their inbox. It really does give you a week that was roundup in a quick read. It also offers a look ahead and various process and term explanations that will be interesting to every investor. So you should be thinking about subscribing. 
you'll get targeted value formatted for fast consumption when you become a KPP Premium Newsletter subscriber at investtalk.com. The Invest Talk Radio and Podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin. This is Joe calling from Northern California. I had a question about the ETF RVT, that's Woods Value Trust. Well, usually a big ETF person, I generally go with individual stocks, but this is an actively managed small cap value ETF, and I want to add some more of that to my portfolio, and I just find it kind of boring and stuff to screen for these types of stocks. So I noticed the expense ratio is kind of high, but I've actually owned this uh, ETF for a couple of months, and I'm looking to possibly add more and want to see what you think about it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate everything you guys do. Bye. All right, this is the Royce Value Trust, RVT. About $1.8 billion uh, invested in this fund. Has a little bit of leverage, about 3%, so not a ton of leverage, which is good. Trades at a discount to NAV at about 10%. And it looks like that's where you're right around that 10% level. So you're not getting anything that is over uh, or undervalued in, in compared to its uh, normal NAV. So it's about average. Now, it primarily invests in long-term securities, about 65% of the assets in common stocks, convertible preferred, and convertible debentures. Uh, Income is a secondary, so it looks like it's broadly diversified. It uh, will invest in different types of parts, different parts of the capital structure of different companies, let's say that. So... That's interesting. I like that they're able to open up to, to different parts uh, in that way. Biggest holding is only 2.1% of the portfolio, so very broad diversification. Uh, I'd have to look at the performance. Let's take a look at that. And certainly this has been charging higher since the beginning of COVID, but let's look at a monthly chart. Yeah, I mean, it's still below its 2007 high, so that looks like uh, it could be an issue. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's a value ETF, right? Uh, it's focused on uh, the value side of the market, and that's not really been the leader in uh, the last, uh, really, 14 years or so. So if this is a time where value takes hold and the fact that it's in small caps, uh, where most of the fiscal spending is targeted, will be domestic and small caps tend to benefit, those two factors make me say, this is a good place to be. Uh, you're, you said the expense ratio is pretty high. Let's take a look at that, because that certainly is important. Looks like it is 1.2%. You know, that's roughly what we charge to our clients on average. It's about what our average client pays. So you're paying that for just the fund. If, if you don't want anything more than that, you don't want an advisor like us, then you know this is not a bad place to be. But there's certainly... High risk, but high reward, but I like the place that it's in now, small cap and the value side of the market. Thanks for the call. This is InvestTalk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom, and our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. This is InvestTalk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. 
And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, this is Trey uh, from Alabama. Uh, this question is specific for Justin because I'm not mistaken, Justin, you were a basketball player and now you obviously transitioned to the financial world. And I want to see that at some point too. Um, currently I'm playing basketball overseas in Europe, but I know that once I'm playing basketball, one of my passions is uh, investing and I'm learning from you guys and other people now, but also I have a bachelor's degree in finance. And I was wondering if you'd give me some advice on what would be the next steps uh, for me to take in becoming a personal financial advisor because that's the career path I want to take when the ball starts bouncing. And I feel like you could possibly give me the best answer on that. And any other tips that I could connect from my basketball world to the finance world would be of service as well. Thanks. All right, that's a great question. And I'm a bit uniquely uh, qualified to answer that. Uh, now, I never played professionally. Um, I did play in college. Uh, but we actually have an employee if in our firm that did play overseas, uh, so similar to you, and he's uh, kind of on that path as well. Uh, younger, he's in his 20s. Uh, but this is, you're in a good place. You, through basketball, I know for me personally, uh, basketball has created a lot of great connections for me. A lot of my friends and, and the, the most important people in my life outside of my family are people that I met through basketball. Uh, and so whether that's coaches or other players, and maybe it's the family member of players that you played with, um, your connections probably back at your university, wherever you played, all those things are going to help you with having a broad network. And having a good network and, and, and connecting with the right people certainly is a great starting place. Now, to gain the experience, though, uh, some people including the one that uh, works for us now, he, he started off, uh, I believe, at was it Morgan, Merrill, maybe? I think it was Merrill. Um, and I would not recommend that route, and he would tell you the exact same thing, because you're just there to dial, dial for dollars, basically, right? And they're trying to suck you for your leads, for your leads within, that, uh, within your space, right? And... There's some minimum that you're going to have to get to if you're a, a new advisor, 20 million, 25 million in management in th two, three years. And if you don't have that, well, guess what? All the clients that you did get, maybe it's not that much, but still all those clients go to the lead within that team. And so it's a way for those leads to slowly just gather dollars over the years from a bunch of advisors that they don't really teach very much. They're just there for marketing purposes. And, and uh, one of our employees would, would tell you that. Uh, and so what I would say is you want to go with somebody who's smaller, somewhere you can get in and learn actually the investment side, not just the marketing side, even though marketing and, and, and talking is certainly part of it. But the majority of what you want to do is likely the investment side, and you're not going to learn that at a big firm. Try to get with a smaller firm as much as you possibly can. So I hope that helped. Now, time is tight, but I think I can fit in one quick question at 888-99-CHART. Hi, how's it going? I want to see what your opinion was on for NAKED, N-A-K-D. Is this an option where you would want to invest now and then maybe dump later on Valentine's Day, or if you're in it for the long haul? Thanks. All right, this is Naked Brands, designing manufacturers men's and women's underwear, intimate apparel, loungewear, and sleepwear. 
their business is struggling. Revenues continue to fall and they're losing money. It is did go up recently uh, in January. It's kind of exploding here. This this to me is just a product of the time. When when you're at near the end of a move, often these very micro cap companies, and that's what this is. This is a market cap right now of 353 million, and that's after going up, geez, hundreds of percent over the last few months. So uh, this is a business that did 11 million in sales last quarter and lost 47 cents a share. So this is not an investable company. Uh, technically, it could continue to go up. I don't know if this is a short covering uh, thing like GameStop. I'm not sure. But certainly not an investable company. Not a trade I would make because of Valentine's Day. I would just not touch this thing at all. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. We post a new program each weekday shortly after the end of our live stream broadcast, which concludes at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Get your free download anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and as always, investtalk.com, and please be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART.